Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Nine. Twelve. Ten. Twenty-eight. Two. Twenty-three. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello and welcome to a brand new year and a brand new year's edition of Deep State Radio with our uh, oldest and best friends here at Deep State Radio. We have... Uh, in Alexandria, Virginia, Rosa Brooks of Georgetown Law School. Hi, Rosa. How are you? Hi, David. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Uh, and uh, also in the Washington, D.C. area, um, uh, we have Ed Luce of the Financial Times. Hi, Ed. Happy New Year, David. Uh, and I don't know where David Sanger is. Is he in Vermont? Is he in, <laughs> d- in the District of Columbia? Is he in? He is in snowy Vermont, uh, just having slid down my uh, my my driveway, which uh, seems to be about half ice, about <laughs> right for for this new year. Um, well, uh, welcome, David, and uh, glad you're there. And of course, as is usual, Corey Shockey's in the <laughs> nicest, most comfortable location of all of us, uh, still in California. How are you, Corey? I am exceedingly well, thank you, David. And you're right, I am nestled into my native land. It's raining so hard here, it sounds like horses galloping on the roof. Um, well, uh, that's not a bad thing in California, is it? Isn't, isn't Absolutely, it? raise the water table. Yeah, rain, rain is a good thing uh, in, in, in California. Um, well, I thought, you know, and by the way, this is uh, probably not going to win any major awards for creativity on this, but thought we should begin the year by looking ahead at the year and making all sorts of uh, predictions, which we can, um, you know, later deny that we ever made. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, <laughs> let's stick our neck out a little bit and talk a little bit about what's going to happen here in the first hundred days of this new administration or the two weeks before it, and then around the world. Let's start with what do you think are, you know, and, you know, feel free to take this wherever you want to go. But as you look at the next two weeks and the hundred days following it, what do you think some of the big headlines are going to be? Rosa. Uh, Next hundred days headlines. Um, Well, I think we will see Biden inaugurated on January 20th. So that will be a nice big headline that we can all, um, you know, cut out of the newspaper and and save to look at when we're feeling dejected. Um, And but I think that the shenanigans we're seeing from Trump and the GOP will will continue. Um, and w- they will do their best to make Biden's uh, ability to govern um, as minimal as possible. Um, obviously, a lot depends on how things go in the, the Georgia Senate runoffs, and I'm not going to make a prediction on that one because it's clearly very, very close. Um, but, I, but I do think um, a, lot, you know, a lot is going to hinge on exactly how destructive uh, Donald Trump, Ted Cruz, et al. decide to be in the period after the 20th. I'm still not 
entirely ready to take a deep breath and say we are out of the woods when it comes to political instability and even potentially political violence given the actions of the last few days. Um, I would like to see a headline uh, saying uh, Justice Department investigates Donald Trump for uh, uh, among other things, his most recent attempt to uh, interfere with and manipulate the results of a democratic election in the state of Georgia this uh, recorded telephone call with the Georgia Secretary of State is obviously quite astounding. Um, I'm not confident I will see that. I think Biden's instincts uh, continue to lean towards, you know, let bygones be, be, be bygones, which I think would be a mistake. Um, I do actually, well, maybe I shouldn't get ahead of myself because I do expect Donald Trump um, to pardon himself before he goes, which in turn will create big headlines and which will lead to uh, further litigation on whether in fact he can preemptively pardon himself for absolutely everything. Um, I, I think, and these are again, not a headline that I necessarily expect, but a headline that I, I fear. I'm, I'm somewhat fearful that we will see foreign policy mischief from Trump, specifically something involving Iran uh, in the, last few weeks of his presidency. And I, I hope we don't see any headlines about that. I hope nothing will happen. Um, uh, I could go on, I could go on about some of the things I think we'll see once Biden is inaugurated, but let me pause there and, and hear from my colleagues. Yeah, we can do a couple of rounds of this. Let me go at this in the, the uh, random order that I, I did the introductions. Ed. Um, well, there's definitely going to be a self-pardon, and there's definitely going to be um, on Inauguration Day some kind of dueling Trump event. And that Trump event, um, whilst utterly ridiculous on the surface to people like us, will resonate with a lot of Americans in which he says, I am the true president, um, somebody who obtained this the presidency fraudulently, namely Joe Biden, is being sworn in. And I, I fear, therefore, that although over time, Trump might fade, that fading will not happen in the first 100 days. And therefore, the narrative of the first 100 days, particularly given this stunt that the 12 senators and the 100 plus members of the sedition caucus in the House are going to pull on Wednesday, that those first 100 days are going to be about the condition of American democracy rather than about the details of Biden's program. Um, now, there will be wheels within wheels. I expect that people like Neera Tandon, the OMB um, uh, nominee, um, Xavier Becerra, um, the HHS nominee, might well um, have their nominations turned down um, by the Senate. Um, but of course, a lot depends on what happens um, in the Georgia election um, the day before, uh, on January the 5th. Um, Beyond that, um, are we just looking domestic here, or are we? Um, no, we'll look. We'll look domestic on this round, and then we'll go yeah. international. Well, beyond that, of course, the big story is how quickly Biden can get the vaccine, um, accelerate the vaccine distribution. That is, you know, the first, second, and third priority yeah. for any incoming administration. And um, you would have hoped, given how low a bar it is, that he will dramatically improve on the current performance. I mean, it is quite extraordinary that in this accelerating um, and more fatal phase of the pandemic, um, that Trump has basically forgotten it even exists. Uh, he has simply not mentioning it, does not give a damn, and therefore nobody around him gives a damn. We're gonna get a president who really does give a damn and who has some resources to be able to do something about it. So 
I think that Biden will see his test of whether it's a successful first hundred days as being whether he can distribute the vaccine fairly and rapidly. Nothing else really compares with that. And I think he will. My prediction is that he will clear that hurdle. That, by the way, I think is correct. I think the test for Biden in the first hundred days and possibly in the first year is going to be how he responds to this. Mr. Sanger. Well, let's see. Um, so let me do the easy one first. I agree that he will not only pardon himself, but uh, preemptively pardon every family member uh, that he can think of. And probably a few folks we couldn't name who he you know, met at the club uh, uh, down at Mar-a-Lago before he retreated back up to DC and uh, who asked for pardons for everything from you know, traffic uh, violations to uh, paying off foreign dictators. Um, uh, the second thing that I think is going to be remarkable about the next few days is that while obviously uh, this gambit to create a commission similar to 1876 to look into the election isn't going to work, the very fact that you're going to have a dozen members of the Senate and upwards of 140 members of the House basically sign on to uh, something that is based on a complete fiction with no fact at all. I mean, what was most remarkable about that phone call that we uh, got uh, yesterday from um, uh, President Trump talking to the uh, Georgia Secretary of State and his aides um, is that two months into this, Trump has no single new fact to go support anything. He was basically recycling uh, internet rumors, stuff he heard on Fox and OAN, and was politely rebuffed. And actually, when they do the reissue of Profiles and Courage, the Georgia officials on the other side of the phone deserve their own chapter. Um, yeah. A few other things that I think will dominate the next 100 days, obviously the vaccine, as you've discussed. The big hack you haven't mentioned yet, but at this point, Biden is going to be walking into a U.S. government run by a computer systems that he cannot trust, that have been permeated by malware that no one fully understands and may have a series of backdoors that they have not detected. That will add a lot to the uncertainties of the next 100 days, even if the Russians don't do much with it. Um, he's up against two big international deadlines. Uh, obviously, in the first two weeks, he's going to have to go renew New Start. That will happen. Jake Sullivan basically said as much over the weekend. My guess is he will not put the Iran deal back together, not because he doesn't want to, but because the Iranians will throw some things in as they approach their own elections that will make it impossible. There'll be a North Korea provocation early on in this time because okay, now you're getting ahead of ourselves because we're going to go and deal with the international ones next. Um, and yeah, and I did want to take a moment to uh, to say how far we've come in the you know the five years we've been doing this that you managed to say the big hack without offering a a, a joke um, or no, but, yeah. or an attack on the host and and I'm grateful for that. Yeah, um, it's a real progress. Um, okay, uh, you know, one of one of the reasons that futurist exercises like uh, the National Intelligence Council's 
world in 2030 very often go awry is because people make straight line projections. So if China's uh, GDP growth rate is 10% for the last three years, it will be for the coming 20. And I fear, David, that you, <laughs> although you are so wonderful, you are mistakenly assuming linear progress with Citizen Sanger and not taking recidivism in his joking about your about you into account. So, so yeah. let me just offer that that's, as my that's first That's probably prediction. the most accurate prediction we're going to hear on the show. <laughs> think, Corey, we could get an NIE on the Rothkopf-Sanger relationship in yeah. I will be deeply disappointed as a taxpayer if there already isn't a standing one annually updated. Mm. Mm. Okay. <laughs> okay, my predictions. Yes. Um, I predict that the dangerous and disgraceful behavior of the president and Senator Hawley and Senator Cruz um will in retrospect be the high water mark of corruption and political um, disgrace. And that, that as a result of the president's behavior and what we are going to find out once he's left office about, you know, I'm guessing the Georgia phone call wasn't the only phone call of that type the president had made, especially not since it sounds so much like the Ukraine stuff. So this has been the president's modus operandi, and, and we're going to see it in technicolor widescreen. And that that will, um, I realize how ridiculous this sounds, but I believe uh, that will um so shock the few Republicans of conscience conscious in public office to redirecting. And second, um, will bode so ill for their electoral prospects um, that, uh, that this will begin the turn away from Trumpism and corruption in the Republican party. And second prediction is that the Lincoln Project will continue to be a major part of that process because they have now gone full piratical and are going to start imposing reputational costs on the funders uh, of um, these elected officials. And that's going to start to hit Republicans where it hurts. Um, I'm ashamed that it has taken this much to get us where we are, but I, my prediction is this is going to be the low watermark. Um, I think I'll stop there since that's a big swing. Um, yeah, and, and definitely a, a worthy of a, a small uh, tiara of optimism for 2021. Uh, let's take a look at the rest of the world and and what do we think are the big headlines that coming out of the rest of the world either you know on their own or relative to the US Rosa I'm sorry could you could you repeat that question David I, the audio is breaking up the, yes rest of the world what 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 are your <laughs> predictions for the rest of the world oh so I think you know 
the big story picking up on Ed's comments, COVID, COVID, COVID for the next few months, um, clearly. Uh, you know, how bad will things get before enough people are vaccinated that they start getting better? And I think the answer, uh, the answer as, as several of you have already suggested is quite bad. I think, I think the impact of that on the economy uh, and on the political cultures of, of the rest of the world, as you put it, which is a big place, um, uh, remains likely to be profound, but also I, I wouldn't wanna make specific predictions um, for all the reasons that Corey mentioned. Um, I, you know, I think, I think that that's going to probably be what preoccupies people. I think that there will be in, in, the, in Europe adapting to Brexit and maybe, maybe Ed can say more about his perspective on that soon is going to be another big story. And that of course will be linked to COVID related movement restrictions, et cetera, uh, uh, and COVID related economic impact. Um, I think that we will see the entire rest of the world trying to adapt to a new American president. I think that will mostly be a, a happier kind of story uh, with a big sigh of relief coming from most US allies and partners and perhaps a darn, we really like the US uh, uh, enfeebled and chaotic from some of the, uh, some of our adversaries. Um, but other than that, uh, I don't wanna say anything else because I'll probably end up being wrong. Every time I make a specific prediction, I turn out to be wrong. So I should just shut up. I don't think that's true, Rosa. I, think, I also object to that description, Rosa. I mean, if, first of all, nobody I know has been more accurate in their predictions of how Trump would behave post Yeah, but he's really predictable. Plus, he tells us what he's going to do. The rest uh, of the world is not nearly, unfortunately, if, if everyone okay, is but Rosa, Trump, everybody like, else should have had it right, too. And you, in February of 2016, on this podcast or January of 2016, sometime really early in 2016, you were the person who got it right. The person who true? said was he is completely shameless and all of the rest of us are playing by the rules that shame will affect his behavior. That's huh. correct. About that? Well, thank you, Corey. You make me feel, you make me feel uh, much smarter than I felt just a couple minutes ago. Well, why do you think we keep always going to you asking for investment tips? <laughs> right. Yeah, that unfortunately is not going to work out well for you. <laughs> All right, Ed, the world. Oh, I thought you were going to ask me for investment tips. All right. Well, that too, that. Ed, because yeah. they can't be worse than mine. Put, put it under your mattress, always, anywhere, at all times. <laughs> um, okay, so the world. Um, uh, I think Biden's going to find it surprisingly difficult to forge material common... Um, uh, agreements with the Europeans. Um, and that ironically, you know, given that Biden is not Trump and that Britain has just exited the European Union, the most um, willing partner across the Atlantic will be the British. Um, they've already gone furthest in terms of um, banishing Huawei um, and um, in terms of changing their China policy to accommodate the new more sort of hawkish um, sentiment towards China. Europeans, of course, have just struck, the European Union has just struck a, a major investment deal, a bilateral treaty between the European Union and China um, on the eve of Biden's inauguration. Um, and that very much reflects the uh, interests of um, the Germans amongst others um, uh, in um, benefiting economically from a, a China that has done less badly than anyone else 
from economic measure measure um, during this pandemic and therefore provides a bigger export market market for its Volkswagens and wind turbines, et cetera, et cetera. So we're going to have an initial sort of goodwill sort of and delight that Biden is not Trump and that Biden is Biden. But the idea that that then leads to um, easy and concrete transatlantic agreements is, I think, wrong. So we're going to have some disappointment on Europe. I think we're going to see uh, um, elsewhere in the world um, Narendra Modi um, losing popularity very, very rap rapidly in India, um, which is a good thing, except that it's people to his right who will attempt to profit from that. He will therefore feel obliged to protect his right flank by doubling down on the Hindu nationalist, um, the Hindu nationalist project. And therefore India and the Indian, the subcontinental neighborhood could become very dangerous um, in 2021. Finally, Putin's lost his friend in the White House. Um, and he's been, um, as, as David set out, he's, his intelligence agencies have been behind the biggest sort of hack of um, um, arguably in history, right? Um, uh, we're gonna see some very tense moments, I think, between Russia and the United States. Okay, David? Well, let me pick up where Ed uh, left off at the risk of starting the new year in complete agreement with Ed, which I realize is you know, always a risk. Never do that. No, only I'm putting money under your mattress. We agree okay. on that point, obviously. Um, yeah, that's it's accumulated interest for me for you know 30 years. Uh, that that approach. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, so um, first on the Russia part. Uh, we're going to see more examples now of Russia um, using cyber and other means to prove to um, President-elect Biden, soon President Biden, that uh, he can be a major disruptive force and can cause a lot of trouble. I think the high watermark with Russia relations will be two weeks in when they renew New START, and from there on in, it'll be straight downhill. Uh, especially if Biden makes good on his promise two weeks ago that he would make sure that Russia paid a price for um, this attack, assuming that they come out with official attribution of it. Um, the China relationship, I think, is going to be an area where we all come to the conclusion that Donald Trump actually did have a significant and lasting effect on American foreign policy which is to say that both Republicans and Democrats are far to the right of where they were four years ago on how to go deal with China. And that while Biden will try to do this with allies and extend things like the Huawei ban and so forth, um, the agreement that the Europeans reached indicated that the Europeans and other allies are not necessarily on board with that. And the administration is going to need to come up with in this next year some positive reasons to sign on with the U.S. rather than with Chinese entities like Huawei. You can't simply say, we're going to cut off your intelligence. You have to be able to say, we can offer you something even better. And that's going to be a, a big order. Um, I mentioned before, before David uh, rightly cut me off for um, uh, bringing international issues into a domestic conversation. The North Koreans will certainly do a provocation early on. They did early on in Bush's time. They did early on in Obama's time. It's almost like a clockwork thing. 
Um, it's going to be interesting to see if Biden goes back to the sort of strategic patience, which is to say ignoring North Korea, or whether there's a concrete um, uh, measure there. And finally, I think the progress with the Europeans will look great in the spring and dissipate come the fall. Because I think that over time, the goodwill over having Biden around will kind of wear off and we'll be back to some of the many grading issues, whether it is um, Nord Stream 2 or whether it is European approaches to China. But I think what you're going to see the Europeans do is hedge their bets because they think that while it's great Joe Biden is around, they're not sure that four years from now we're not back to another Trump-like figure. Um, I'm trying to just sort of lean back here and just be a moderator, but I do want to offer one slight difference of perspective on what you just said, David. And that is, I think that both the Biden administration and the Trump administration will be tough on China, but I don't think that that means they both are moving to the right. I think the right critique, I mean, the right's critique of, of China, the Trump critique is partially based on nationalism and partially based on not getting the right deals for corporations. The left critique of China is going to be more based on fairness for American workers and on human rights. And so the, the consequence is going to be similar, but I think where they're coming from is going to be slightly different. And I just offer that up as a, as a, as a, as a slight, mm. slight, slight yeah. different. I, I, I wouldn't necessarily argue with that. I, I, I think it's going to be sort of a question of um, how well they organize the thought of getting the rest of the world to go deal with China, rather than their correct critique of Trump, which was he tried to do it all alone and thus failed. Yeah, no, no question about that. And I think everything in this international discussion will be influenced by the fact that the Biden administration is going to take a more internationalist, multilateral, institutionalist, international institutionalist approach. Corey. Uh, so I agree with that last comment, David, uh, but my prediction is that um, other countries are going to yearn for an America that didn't put the use of military force so far behind those other elements. Because my read of uh, Vice President Biden was that he was the advocate for um, disengagement militarily on a lot of things uh, that we were doing collaboratively with others. And I think as the temperature rises on the US-China um, problem set, uh, that a Biden administration will be too hesitant to have military force as a constituent component of a broader strategy, and that we will hear allies begin to complain on that side of the equation, particularly Asian allies. A second prediction I have is that uh, I agree that the transatlantic relationship is going to be more difficult, but I think uh, the reason it will be more difficult is that the Biden administration is actually going to have a great game of driving up the cost to Europeans 
for their unprincipled commercial engagements, whether Nord Stream or um, Volkswagen in China. And I think the Europeans are gonna be shocked because they're so comfortable condescending to Americans for all of the many ways in which we let our interests shout down our values. And they're gonna be surprised to see us backfoot them on that. Um, and, and I very much hope it's true because it would signal the Biden administration playing to America's greatest strength, which is our ability to reach inside other countries' politics and use the, the magnetism of our values when we practice them ourselves um, to international advantage. Okay. I, uh, oops, I'm sorry, I'll stop there. No, no, well, um, let's, we have about 10 minutes. So let's get into <clears throat> a little bit of a lightning round. I've got a couple questions. If you have some questions for each other, you could throw those in too. Uh, let's start with um, uh, Rosa, but go around to everybody really kind of quickly. What do you think are one or two big things that are going to appear very, very different uh, at home and to the world about the new administration compared to the old one, setting aside Donald Trump not being in the middle of it? Mm, that is the big thing. Um, um, Donald Trump not being in the middle of it. I mean, I mean, you know, substantively, I, I take Ed's caution that that Biden may find it. It will not be so easy to simply slip back into relationship circa, uh, you know, December 2016, much less relationship circa, you know, five years before that or 15 years before that. Uh, with our allies, but um, I do think that there nonetheless will be at least a little bit of a honeymoon period um, in which we will see efforts to make rapid progress, efforts both from the US and, and from, our, from counterparts in other countries to make rapid progress on, on COVID, on, on uh, uh, climate change in particular, um, on arms control issues, et cetera. And I, I think that that is obviously in very large part because Trump won't be there, which is another way of saying it's impossible to answer your question without, without reference to the fact that it won't be Trump. But it's also to some extent the difference between Republican and Democratic administrations more generally. Um, you know, I think, I think even if this were, even if Trump had been a, if Trump had been Pence, right? Some of these issues, uh, we would still be seeing a significant shift on uh, from administration to administration. Um, but I, I don't think that, I, I do think it's impossible. Trump has just been such an outsized figure uh, in so many ways um, that it really is almost impossible to answer your question with, without talking about what's different because it's not Trump. Okay, Ed? Uh, I mean, I think I, uh, people are gonna be surprised by how little they're surprised. This, this, this will be an administration that will telegraph in advance what it's doing why it's doing it. It'll say when it's doing it, what it's doing, and we'll know because they will have told us in advance what they're doing. It's not going to be uh, administration by tweet. So that's an unsurprising sort of difference um, between them. Um, and I think a related point is we're gonna be seeing much less of the president. You know, Trump occupied our brains as he still does, rent-free, 24 hours a day. Uh, he occupied our culture 
um, our social media, our thoughts. He, he's in our pores. Biden's not going to be like that. Um, so, you know, that's, that is a huge, huge difference. I think we will be surprised, and this does link into it with the earlier um, uh, round on foreign policy or the world, I do think we'll be surprised by the degree to which the, the Biden administration is hawkish on China um, and, and the degree of continuity uh, on some elements of Trump's approach to China. That's going to surprise some people. Yeah, I, I, I'm gonna go on to, to David here in a second, but it just strikes me, we've, been, we've all been doing this a while, um, that we have a new administration coming in. We're talking about foreign policy. And unlike the conversation we would have had at the beginning of many administrations, we haven't for one minute mentioned the Middle East, terrorism, any of these other kind of things that have been, you know, have been so dominant in conversations like this in the past. Nor, I might add, have we mentioned climate, which is a new central, central focus of this administration. David. Oh, well, David, it is a central focus of the administration, and I think it will also be a central focus of the political argument at the administration, because the core of Biden's argument is we can um, have an active climate policy that drives us toward very ambitious objectives and use it to create jobs versus the Trump camp argument that all it will do is uh, slow the economy. I think Biden's right but it's gonna take a lot of work for him to be able to demonstrate he's right. Um, I think the second thing we're going to see happen is that the split in the Republican party is going to end up looking to be a lot more interesting and perhaps more exciting than the Biden administration, right? It was just this afternoon as we were getting ready to, um, to tape all of this, that Trump turned out a tweet, something you won't see Biden do very much, that referred to the surrender caucus within the Republic, Republican Party that he said will go down in infamy as weak and ineffective guardians of our nation who are willing to accept the certification of fraudulent presidential numbers. So this whole thing that was going on with the Georgia uh, phone call with what we're going to see happen in Congress uh, on the 6th is all about him spending the next four years saying, I really was the president for these next four years. It's just, I got cheated out of it. And that's gonna be the basis of his whole ability to both split the nation and split the party. And I think the big concern that we have is that come 2024, it's going to be suddenly acceptable that you don't have to necessarily give in when you've lost an election. And I think that's the corrosive um, effect of all of this. Um, I think we're headed to a period of time where the United States is sharply at odds with both Russia and China at the same moment. And that's going to be a very risky thing for Biden to go navigate. Corey. So um, I wouldn't want to start the new year without fixing the tiara of optimism firmly to my head. So I would do that by saying that I think the biggest unexpected change is that politics is going to get boring again and Americans are going to like it. Um, that, that we will see, I agree, Trump will continue to fulminate, but I do think um, once we are reminded that it's actually really nice not to have 
the high baseline level of anxiety that that politics in the Trump era produced. Um, and government starts to solve big important problems like COVID, like climate, like income inequality, which I think are all things that are, are trains that are picking up speed for problem solving. Um, I actually think people are gonna say, oh yeah, this is why the 1940s and 50s feel like such a halcyon age because we weren't actually clawing at each other's throats all day long. Good. Three, three minutes, everybody gets 30 seconds. One wish, one big fear for the year ahead. Rosa? My wish is that it will be boring and my fear is that it will be boring. Uh, my very, very wish. Yes, go ahead. Um, my wish um, uh, is to pick up on, on, on Corey's point is for, uh, and by others, um, is for big, big breakthroughs on international climate change cooperation. Uh, my fear is that Tucker Carlson will remain as big a dick as he ever was. <laughs> okay. Just, just, just to pick one. Yeah, yeah no, that's, well, that's a, that could be a fear or a prediction. David? Um, my wish is it will be boring, and my belief is it won't be boring. Um, that um, at, at least to uh, those deep state listeners who actually would prefer to go see what happens when nations um, collide over their power than to read presidential tweets as I was doing before, um, uh, that this will be really interesting. It will return us to a more normal understanding of what government does. But the fact of the matter is that the world does not get reset to where it was on January 20th, 2017. Um, the Chinese have filled a lot of vacuums since then. The Russians have figured out how to be a lot more disruptive since then. The Middle East doesn't really look very much like it did then in, in, um, in a couple of important respects. And so I think it will be fascinating and scary, but it won't be like Trump time. Last wish, last fear, Corey. My wish is that uh, the Republican Party uh, becomes a conservative party again. And my fear is that it doesn't because we actually need a functional two-system political party. Uh, and if the Republican Party continues to debase itself or gets burned to the ground because it can't figure out how to find its way to solid principled ground, It'll be bad for, not just for conservatism, not just for the Republican Party, but bad for the country. Those are all very good. My, my wish in this general area is uh, that we start, and I think that this is Joe Biden's objective, to identifying common interests of left and right in this country. A normal president would look at something like COVID and use it to unify the country because there are no solutions for blue states or red states. Um, or people in cities or people in suburbs or people in the country that are not solutions for everybody else. Uh, and I think we need to move to that and even raising the issue of compromises inflammatory in our current moment. And I think we have to move beyond that. My fear is that 
much of what we have seen in 2020 is going to be with us in 2021, both in terms of COVID um, and perhaps some of its darkest chapters and in terms of division. Um, fortunately, um, because I'm the host, I get two wishes. And the other wish is that we get to talk to these people on a regular basis and get light shed on these things as we have for a long, long time. Uh, I'm very grateful for that as we begin this year, grateful for each one of you guys and look forward to having these conversations on an ongoing basis as we grapple with all of this. Uh, so uh, to find out what else we've got coming up, go to the dsrnetwork.com where we, we, we you know, can preview those things and you can see what we've done recently. Uh, become a member, help support what we are doing. We're hoping to expand in the year ahead. And uh, thank you to Rosa. Thank you to Ed. Thank you to David. Thank you to Corey. Um, wish you all healthy, happy, prosperous New Year's. And same to all of you who are listening. Bye-bye.